Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Forrest. And this is The Crosscut, a podcast that contextualizes the news of the day with the story, themes, and motifs of a treasured or trash piece of cinema. That's right. And this week, we are taking a little bit easy on everyone. Uh, with all that's going on in the world, we're going to take a minute to focus on something completely trivial, which is the NBA Finals are this week. Yes. Sports. Sports. Yay. Now, not everybody likes, uh, you know, a lot of deep dives into sports content. So we've tried to stick to the narratives rather than the specifics. Uh, So hopefully you'll find this is entertaining, even if you're not a huge basketball nerd like me. Right. Or uh, sorry, I thought you were saying not a nerd like me. Like I'm not a nerd. Oh, you are not basketball. Right. I am for sure. Yes. Uh, But yeah, we are. We're going to cover that along with the new Adam Sandler film on Netflix called Hustle. Hustle. That's right. But before we get into that, we are going to talk about the news of the week. The news of the week. A judge in Houston recused herself from a case on Tuesday after the defendant asked if she liked peanut butter and then flung his feces at the judge in an attempt to feign incompetence. The judge was able to dodge the feces and went on to say that while this incident was bad, at least she didn't have to deal with someone really disgusting like a January 6th insurrectionist. <laughs> I'm just wondering, what does that have to do with peanut butter? What does any, how did the person get the feces into the courtroom? Did nobody notice yeah. the smell? I have so many questions about how all of this transpired. It got, I mean, maybe he brought it in his butt. He, but po- did he, he reach- pooped it into his hand and he, then threw it, I'm he sure. Just, he pooped on demand. I'm sure. In front of an entire courtroom. Yes. That is itself a talent. <laughs> you know, uh, he should have gone to America's Got Talent instead of court. <laughs> I don't think those judges would have responded any more <laughs> positively. Yeah. Apparently, it got on the judge's phone. So now she just needs to get a new phone. I'm sorry. It's done. You know what, though? All of our phones are covered in poop. That's true. Researchers in Japan have created a new form of data transmission using optic fibers, which send data at a rate of 1.02 petabytes per second, a speed that is almost 100,000 times faster than 5G. When asked for comment, Bill Gates said, not to worry, we can expect an updated microchip in our fall COVID boosters. Oh, good. I want to be, want to have some fast, fast info. That's Gotta right. Scroll that Twitter feed extra fast. <laughs> A man who raps about robbing ATMs was arrested for robbing an ATM in Tennessee on Monday. Using this new method of crime solving, police are now looking into Michael Jackson for potential smooth criminality, Johnny Cash for a shooting in Reno, and they still have some questions for Billy Joel about who did start the fire. (laughs) I really hope that this guy is doing a collaboration with that lady who was convicted of murdering her husband that wrote a book about how to murder your husband. Yeah, how to murder your husband, uh, do what I did. Ah, how did they get me? People, stop telling on yourselves in your artwork. That's right. Geico has been ordered to pay $5.2 million to a woman who claims she caught HPV while having sex in her boyfriend's car. But to be fair, that gecko's accent is incredibly charming. Sure. Why would... First of all, that is no amount of money for Geico. They don't care. But why do they owe her money? (laughs) Because her boyfriend's car was insured by Geico. Yeah, but against <laughs> like accidents, not like accidents. I mean, it's not on purpose. I mean, I'm just. It, it was a. It was a, an an event that occurred in the car, which has negatively affected her life, and there was, I guess, full coverage on the car. All right, man. I guess. Look, hey, if you are looking for a romantic partner, make sure that they have uh, comprehensive auto insurance, and then you know, sleep in the car. <laughs> Again, though, how did she prove that she got? HPV from the one time that she had sex in the car or that she even had sex in the car in the first place. I have so many questions. Yeah. Yeah. This is a, this is a deep dive podcast waiting to happen. I need, (laughs) I need some, uh, gosh, what's it called? Slow burn. I need a slow burn on this one. The superintendent of the Uvalde, Texas school district where 19 students and two teachers were fatally shot says the district will hire more police officers in the fall. This additional hiring will be accompanied by funding for a larger parking lot for them to stand around in. I mean, basically. Yeah. I didn't, uh, that was me just being angry, not so much of a joke. But uh, yeah, uh, the idea of having more people to not do the job doesn't sound like a solution 
Although that's what we've been doing with policing for the last 40 years. Right. 0% of 30 officers helping is the same as 0% of 100 officers not yep. helping. That's right. Google announced it will be implementing its new Monk Skin Tone Scale, which is a system for accurately representing the skin tones of various ethnicities that includes 10 different levels of skin tone and is believed to provide a more robust representation of non-white skin tones than previous systems. Google anticipates using this new, more complete scale for applications like improved heat sensors in smartwatches, more accurate photo search results, and quicker identification of job applicants who won't be getting a second interview. Oh, there's there was like a Google uh, photo AI that they used that would like identify white people holding one of those thermometer gun things as mm-hmm. a medical device and black people holding it as a gun. And so... Yeah, Google's not great with this thing. Also, the person who led their like AI research for a while like left the company and has been railing against Google's use of AI in this way. Right. So, I know, mean, don't trust them. As a non-white person, I will say um, it is not convenient to have this facial recognition technology be less accurate for someone <laughs> like me or people with even darker skin. Sure. But also, when the robot wars come... I'm okay if they don't recognize me as well as other folks. That's fine with me. And that is the news of the week. News of the week. For this week's big news story, we are talking the NBA Finals. I'm excited. Dun, 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 Mortal Kombat? That's the one you're with? <laughs> you know, a good John Tesh round ball rock? How does that go? Isn't that more just for like Sports Center? No, it's for uh, NBA on NBC. And John Tesh was the one who composed it. And there is an excellent YouTube video oh. of John Tesh performing that live which I will put in the show notes. You should all definitely check that out. Wait, I think I've seen it. Is it just like he got the idea in his brain and he did a voice memo or something like yeah, that? Yeah, he called his uh, answering machine back when those were things. And so for the concert, he brought his answering machine out and played like him doing that. And then he like mimes bouncing a basketball, which John Tesh has probably never done in his actual life. It's a, it's a dope song. Like shout out to John Tesh for doing that. But Good, good job, man. Yeah. It, it He had like an epiphany. Yeah, that's right. But... We are talking about the actual basketball games this week. So it's a little easier of a week. We're not doing a ton of like hard news or whatever, but it's fun. And we paired it with a fun movie. So uh, let's get into it, shall we? Yeah. Now, I have created a bit of a quiz for you being being the non-expert. Me being the non-expert. That's correct. Yeah. Yes. These questions are all pretty easy. Yes. uh, But they're going to guide our conversation through... What's going to be a pretty light discussion of basketball? So no, no advanced analytics, no deep sports center stuff. I'm just going to give you the context. No gotcha media questions. No gotcha questions. Uh, I'm just going to guide the narrative of these NBA finals. Now, All right. Well, I think that we should at least l- for the people listening at home who maybe you're listening for the first time or maybe have no idea what our level of basketball knowledge yeah. is. You enjoy basketball yes, quite a bit. Both on the college and professional levels, correct. That's right. Go and Tar Heels, go Hornets. I was going to say, you are your UNC fan yes. and a Hornets fan. Yes. I I don't really care about basketball, except when it gets like really exciting at the end of a given game, sure, if yeah, it's yeah. close, or or in the time of like the finals, where... It, again, is like very close and you can really get into the drama of right. a game. Or I can appreciate someone like a like a Steph Curry who is great, is just excellent at the thing that he does um, in terms of like that, being, yeah. a, being a phenom of, I, yeah. of sorts. Right? Basketball is one of those sports where you can easily watch some of the most athletic people in the world do things that no human being should be able to do. Right. Yeah. And so that's that's why you like to get to the finals, because it is ostensibly the best versions of those people in, on the best teams in the country. Right. But, yeah. And so it's it's if you don't watch anything else uh, regarding live sports or basketball, if you don't want to watch the regular season, I get it. But tune in for the finals, tune in for the playoffs. They're always great. Right. And I think that similar to most sports, when I watch basketball most of the time, if I see a game on the television, it is basically just 
lights on a screen. Sure. My eyes kind of glaze over. It's a very quick moving light bright. It's just a bunch of gentlemen running very quickly back and forth on a wooden floor. Some are not gentlemen. Sure. But I understood. <laughs> to the best of my knowledge, they are gentlemen until I hear otherwise. <laughs> yeah. Go watch the Malice in the Palace documentary. <laughs> Just Wasn't kidding. that the fans that were the not gentlemen? Yeah, though? they all. They, everybody was wild in that. It, it's a interest. That was a good documentary. I do recommend it. It's on Netflix. But yeah, no, I was just kidding. So yes, of course, but but so so I don't have a ton of NBA knowledge. I worked in a sports bar. My knowledge consists of what I would hear some people say, and then I would repeat it back to other customers so I could get better tips. Sure. Also, you worked at a sports bar in Tallahassee, so the only thing acceptable to watch was probably a Florida State football. Followed by Tampa Bay Buccaneers football and then probably Florida State basketball. And that was it. Yeah. I mean, we had we had fans from all over uh-huh. who would come to our little sport family sports bar uh-huh. on Sunday mornings. So a lot of professional football uh, watchers, um, not a ton of basketball, but but I think that Florida State was good at basketball yeah, yeah, in they, the early 2000s when I was working as a waitress. Yeah. If I remember correctly, in 2009, Florida State won the ACC tournament. They beat North Carolina, and then mm-hmm. Carolina went on to win the NCAA tournament. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I asked you to bring the level of conversation for our listeners, and, and specifically for me, <laughs> to the level of a person who accidentally, when we were looking at movies to potentially do this week, accidentally called it Celtic Pride. Right. So with that, let's start with uh, question number one. Mm-hmm. Who is playing in this year's NBA Finals? <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, no, 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 no. I got this. I got this. I would hope so. I feel like I've said both of the teams so far. Or uh, not the Celtics, the Celtics. From what city? Boston. There you go. The Boston Celtics okay. are competing against... The Warriors? From? The Golden State. There you go. <laughs> yes, the state of gold. That San is Francisco? Yeah, they're basically in San Francisco. They used to be in Oakland and they moved. But mm-hmm. yeah, so they are, uh, it is the Boston Celtics versus the Golden State Warriors. Now, we are recording this on a Thursday. Mm-hmm. So just after game three took place last night. Oh. Uh, but game four will take place tomorrow night before this releases. Okay. So keep in mind, if you're listening at home, uh, you will either see the Boston Celtics take a 3-1 lead over the Golden State Warriors, or you will see the Golden State Warriors tie the series by winning in Boston at two games apiece. Oh, man, you just made me do a math problem in my brain, which is... I don't tell- know that I could have said anything any easier than... No, no, no. Okay, so right now, then, what you're telling me is that it is 2-1 Celtics. That's correct. Okay. Correct. We're going to do a little history lesson. About these two teams. Question number two on your quiz. By the way, good job. You got question number one correct. Yay. Number two, the Boston Celtics are in this year's finals, as we mentioned, and they are currently tied for the most number of NBA championships at 17. At, oh, at 17. Yes. Your question is, what team are they tied with? The Bulls? Incorrect. Okay, wait, wait, wait. The uh, L.A.? Yeah, okay. The Lakers. There you go. The Los Angeles Lakers. You got there. Yeah, we will accept your second answer on this one (laughs) Uh, because you said, wait, (laughs) before I told you. (laughs) Wait, wait, don't tell me. It's a different podcast. Yes, yes. Uh, But yeah, no, it is is the Los Angeles Lakers who have also won 17 championships. Now, what is interesting about that, to me anyway, is that the Boston Celtics have won 17 championships but only appeared in 22 overall. Which oh. means their win percentage when they make it to the championships is about 81%. That's that's quite high. It's quite high. Compared to the Los Angeles Lakers, who have been to 32 uh-huh. different NBA Finals, 117 for a winning percentage of 53%. Yeah, also great. I would take either for my shitty team. But, you know, uh, the Celtics have had quite a successful run in the NBA. So worth noting that they are sort of one of the preeminent uh, teams in the league from a... a you know, a winning standpoint, a revenue standpoint, and all that good stuff. So you're telling me that if I were a betting person, which I'm honestly not, historically speaking, the money would be on the Celtics. If you were going off of history and history alone, then yes, the money would be on the Celtics. That being said, there are a couple other teams worth talking about. One you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. These two teams are tied next 
for second most wins in the NBA championship in the NBA finals. Okay. Chicago Bulls. Uh-huh. Do you know how many they won? This is not part of the quiz. Just curious if you know. Um, 13. No, six. Were all of them with Michael Jordan? All of them were with Michael Jordan. 91, <laughs> 92, 93, 96, 97, 98. And then he took one year off to make Space Jam. He took, yeah, he took 18 months off to go play baseball and make Space Jam. <laughs> and uh, he might have been silently suspended for gambling. <laughs> According to the Last Dance documentary. Right. Yeah. And then the team that is tied with them in second place is these very own Golden State Warriors. Yeah. Yeah. They have won six titles. Uh, so they won the very first NBA championship in 1947. Uh, they were oh, at the that, first championship ever. Ever, that's right. And they were back then. They were out of Philly, so they were the Philadelphia Warriors. They also won in '56, '75, and then most recently, they won a bunch with Steph and Clay, which we'll get into. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the Golden State Warriors, they are known for their prolific three-point shooting, led by their two star guards, affectionately known as the Splash Brothers. Can you name one of the Splash Brothers? The Splash Brothers. That's right. Just splashing around on their little splash pad. I am very surprised there hasn't been a commercial with these two guys in a swimming pool with like floaties on, splashing each other. That would be, for what, I don't know, but <laughs> it'd be funny. Well, I mean, Steph, right? Like three-point shot, Steph Curry. Steph Curry is correct. That's right. I told your, you these weren't going to be hard. Your old buddy. To, uh, yes, I, I had the fortune, uh, not fortune, uh, we paid <laughs> for me to go to the Del Curry basketball camp when I was a kid. And Steph Curry, little little baby Steph Curry was there. So I uh, I said hi. And he was a kid. And that was it. <laughs> the there you end. Go. And Draymond Green. Incorrect. Draymond is on the team, though. So good job. Uh-huh. Uh, the other Splash Brother is a young man by the name of Clay Thompson. You just said Clay. And I was like, did I miss your Dre? <laughs> <laughs> Getting into just a little bit more on that prolific three-point shooting, uh, I just wanted to explain how good Steph Curry is in terms of shooting three-pointers. I feel like one of the reasons that you like Steph Curry, maybe this is me projecting because mm. it's one of the reasons I do, is because I enjoy outliers and I also enjoy really fun graphs and sure. charts yes. that show those things. And he has quite a few, I feel like, that I've seen. Yeah, that's right. And so this is just a, I cannot do charts and graphs on a podcast. That's right. So I'm just going to give you a quick number description. All right. For the most number of three-pointers ever scored in an NBA season, Steph Curry scored 402 three-pointers in the 2015-2016 season. That's, That's 402. How many games are there? There are 82 games. That feels like a lot. That's a lot. And it's not particularly close to the next best player. So the next best player is James Harden, who scored 378. And you may say, okay, that's close. That's, you know, about 24 away or something like that. James Harden had a much lower shooting percentage than Steph Curry. So not only did Steph Curry score more three-pointers overall, he was a much better shooter. James Harden hoisted a lot of things just trying to chase that number. Gotcha. Um, And here's a stranger thing to me about this. Not only is Steph Curry the number one scorer of three-pointers in a season, he's also the number three, the number four, the number five, the number eight, the number nine, and the number 14 most three-pointers in a season on the list. So it's not like he just went out there and had an aber- aberration of his you know, shooting abilities. Like one, for one really year. good year. Exactly. And, uh, and to compare that to James Harden, who was, again, 378 when he maxed out as his mm-hmm. three-point shooting, uh, his next best, he was number six at 299. So he didn't ever get close again. Whereas every year, Steph Curry is a threat to break his own record. Well, good for him. Yes. Yeah. Mostly his limiting factor has just been health. Like he's been injured and, and not been able to play full seasons for quite a while. What kind of injuries? He, when he came into the league, he had ankle injuries. Um, he's also had uh, other lower leg injuries. It's typically lower body. Interesting. In mentioning injury, though, it is important to say that in game three, towards the end of the game, Steph Curry had some other player fall on his ankle, and now it is injured again going into game four. Oh, no. So the Golden State Warriors are now the underdogs in this series because their best player is potentially limited. Uh, He will play, it seems, but he may not play as efficiently or effectively with that injury. I mean, yeah, this seems not great for them. When did this happen? Game three. Game three. Okay, so like this just happened for us. Yeah. Well, that's not nice. It's not good. 
No. But yeah, it, it, that list reminds me of like the Chappelle show sketch where he's like, who are the five greatest rappers of all time? It's like <laughs> Dylan, 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 and Dylan because I spit hot fire. And it's like, that's basically <laughs> Steph Curry and shooting. It's like there is, he has broken the algorithm for how good a shooter can be. Is there an explanation for for why he is so good? It, it has been a trend in the NBA that mm-hmm. people focus on the three-point shot more, pace and space, which means you get down the floor fast, you attack the basket, and you kick out to an open shooter, or you take the layup. So one of the things analytics has brought to the basketball arena mm-hmm. is that people don't really take mid-range shots anymore. What's a mid-range shot? Mid-range shot means kind of anywhere between a layup and a three-pointer. So if you're standing out by the free-throw line um, at the elbow, uh, where that you know box makes its little 90-degree turn. It's called the elbow. Mm-hmm. Nobody shoots from there anymore. Nobody's doing like turnaround jumpers or you know hook sky hooks or anything like that for the most part because they are lower percentage uh-huh. with lower reward. Okay. So a layup, pretty high percentage, even though it's only two points, right? Uh-huh. A slam dunk, two points, but high percentage. A three-pointer, lower percentage, but worth more. And so therefore the expected value balances out higher. Those long range two point shots, people don't typically excel in those anymore or even try to take them as much because they're just overall have a lower expected value. I'm sure that there has to be some kind of a chart that shows exactly where the like best ROI. There are hundreds of, yeah, yeah, of really interesting charts on this. Yeah. Yeah. And like, for instance, being at the middle of the court, is probably also not something that people shoot often because you get the same amount of points as if you were just at the three-pointer line. Right. Yeah. Correct. So the, the the reason that Steph may have been successful is partially the change in the game, but the other part of it is he can shoot from so far out and maintain accuracy that it provides a lot of space, right? So he doesn't necessarily have to come off of a screen, although he does that very well. What's a screen? Okay, a screen is when you are a person with a basketball, there's a defender in front of you, Mm. one of your teammates comes up and stands basically right next to that defender so that you can go towards your teammate and your teammate blocks that other person from following you. Right? Okay, okay. So that that can create an opening either to drive to the basket or it can create an opening to pull up and shoot a three-pointer, depending on how the defense plays around that screen. What Steph doesn't really need is that. (laughs) First of all, he's a fantastic ball handler. He's very quick. He has a lot of acrobatic ability, but he also can shoot from 35 feet away. Mm -hmm. And if he can do that, then he can kind of beat you down court, make a move, cause you to assume that he's going to drive back up and shoot. So he's, he's got a lot of moves and he's got unlimited range. So that's why he's, he's so good at it. It's just hard to account for all of that stuff. And not only that, he's got a great coach and Steve Kerr, who can diagram plays to get him open. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure Steve Kerr is the coach who I only know because um, he has like fire press conferences every once in a while. Yes. That make me like him as a person. Yes, he, he's a good person. Um, he's very smart. Uh, he also was in the Last Dance documentary and uh, is, is just a wonderful person to listen to speak because I think he is very thoughtful um, and, and very passionate. So Yes. So that's a little bit on the Golden State Warriors. I want to ask you a question about the Boston Celtics. The Boston Celtics once defined the word dynasty mm. in the NBA, winning 10 titles in 13 years, including eight straight titles. Ooh. Can you name one Celtic player <laughs> from a title-winning team? Larry Bird. There it is. <laughs> Perfect. That was easy. <laughs> you going to leave all that air in? <laughs> nah, I'll leave some of it in, but yeah. <laughs> no, Larry Bird, great answer. Yeah. So I was like, who do I, who's an old dude who I can picture in a green outfit? Yeah. The the Celtics were uh, quite good in the 1980s. Um, so they had guys like Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, Robert Parrish, a bunch of, of guys who you might know if you saw them. Um, because they were kind of around when we were growing up, although Bird was a little older at that, the point we would have paid attention to him. Mm-hmm. Those 10 titles in 13 years came in the 1960s when they were coached by a guy by the name of Red Auerbach. And he's kind of like the old school coach prototype. He used to, when they would win games, he would smoke a cigar on the bench. Yeah, yeah it was the 60s, right? And so they won those titles pre- predominantly because of a guy by the name of Bill Russell. So Bill Russell was one of the most athletic players in the league and 
was he played center and so he was responsible for a lot of the offense but he was also a great passer a great defender and he uh was also kind of a coach on the floor he he literally is one of the greatest players of all time mm-hmm. and so he he led that team to a lot of those finals sort of on his own will and talent this is also the time where what you start to see form was the rivalry between the Boston Celtics and the Los Angeles Lakers Oh. Yeah. So in the course of five years, they faced off four times Uh, in the course of, I think, uh, eight years, they faced off six times. So it's like they were constantly in the finals against each other. That again happened in the 80s. So in the 80s, you had Magic against Bird, which was they had also played in college against each other. It was a a very narrative friendly thing for those teams to play. Mm -hmm. And now that translates into this finals, not because they're playing the Lakers, but because they're fighting for the most titles of all time when compared to the Los Angeles Lakers. Oh, okay. So it's an interesting thing to see. Now, primary leaders on the team are a guy by the name of Jason Tatum. I would like to hate him because he is a Duke grad. But I will reserve judgment uh, in this case because he's also a very good basketball player and seems like a nice person. There's another gentleman by the name of Jalen Brown, who is sort of the, if if there is Steph and Clay on the Warriors, Mm -hmm. then it is Jason and Jalen on the the Celtics that That are the leaders. That is very difficult to say quickly, I feel like. Jason and Jalen. Jason and Jalen? Jalen, yeah. See, I can't even do it. Can't even do it, yeah. They are the primary leaders of this team. They are both amazing offensive players, but also play very strong defense, which is actually where we see a lot of the Celtics' value coming out of. It's playing really hard news defense. They, in fact, have the defensive player of the year on their team, a guy by the name of Marcus Smart, and he's a guard. You know what that means? Big, tall person who stands in front of the basket. That does sound right, doesn't it? Why (laughs) wouldn't that be the guard? (laughs) So the guard is uh, either, there are two guards, there's a point guard and there's a shooting guard. Okay. You can understand what a shooting guard does just by the name. They shoot the ball. The point guard is supposed to be the person who distributes the ball to the team, to his teammates in a way where they can score, right? Okay. Point guard is typically the one who is controlling the offense. So Marcus Smart plays point guard, but he also is such a good defender that he was the first person to win the defensive player of the year as a guard in like a decade and a half or something like that. Typically, defensive player of the year goes to those big guys in the middle because mm-hmm. they're the ones blocking shots. They're mm-hmm. the ones, you know, getting all those gaudy statistics, right? Right. Um, Marcus Smart just happens to be so good at his role that, you know, he is he is now the lockdown defender on guys like Steph Curry or Clay Thompson. Okay. Now, I mentioned the dynasty of the Celtics, mm-hmm. but the team that is the most recent version of a dynasty that we have seen is, in fact, the Golden State Warriors. They have appeared in five finals in a row, and they won three of them in the you know mid twenty teens. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you name one of the teams that beat them? I can. I think. Okay, <laughs> I'm waiting. The Cavs. Yes, the Cleveland Cavaliers with LeBron. With LeBron, that's right. Who I like very much. Again, not because of the basketball stuff, but he seems like a nice person. Sure, he's a very good basketball player. Uh, I've he, heard. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, they were playing the Cleveland Cavaliers in the NBA Finals in 2016, and the Cleveland Cavaliers were down three games to one and came back to win that series. So a uh, very, very rough uh, way to lose in a Finals. And the Golden State Warriors responded by going to the next three finals in a row. And in the following two, they beat the Cleveland Cavaliers both times in five games and then in four games. But was LeBron gone at that point, though? He like, didn't he win he was still a there championship? The, oh, okay. He won with the Lakers last year. I'm sorry, two years, uh, two years ago. So last year was Phoenix versus Milwaukee. The year before that was the Lakers versus the Heat. That was what we call the bubble title because they were in the the bubble because of the pandemic down right. in Orlando. Right. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I guess what I was going to say is I thought that like the, the Cavs though beat this, the Warriors after they had already been beaten by like the Warriors and the Cavs had faced off before that. And the Warriors had won. I don't know. It they did. Like they, yes. Yes. Sorry. So in 2015, yeah. uh, the Golden State Warriors did beat the Cleveland Cavaliers. Yes. And then the Cavaliers fired their coach, brought in a guy by the name of Tyron Lue, okay. came back and then they came back from three, one down. See, so I was able to follow all of this because it was basically just for a person who only watches the finals. Yeah. It was like, well, there's only two teams that I have to care about That's for right. several years. That's right. Yeah. So those two teams played in four consecutive finals against each other. That is bananas. That's right. Yes. Has that ever happened before? I mean, it happened with the, let's see real quick. 
You know, it it has never happened before that the same teams have played four exact finals in a row. It was very close with the Celtics and Lakers in the 60s, but there was like the San Francisco Warriors snuck in there in like 64. Mm -hmm. It was close uh, with the Lakers and the Celtics in the 80s. Uh, but then, like, the Rockets snuck in one year. The 76ers snuck in for a couple of years. So it's like the, the, the same teams are always pretty good and always around at the same time. But it had never happened like that until very recently. Yeah. Good catch bringing that up. I'm glad that you had, like, at least you know recent memory of uh, NBA <laughs> Finals. So with that, I think that both of these teams are obviously great teams at this point. It's very engaging, very entertaining. Right. I'm going to be bummed if the Celtics win on Friday night because then it's a 3-1 series and you can kind of market as done at that point. You Although so? ask the Warriors about that, I guess. But yeah, I think it, I think the Celtics are too hard of a team to beat three games in a row. Speaking of teams that get beat a lot. Oh no. Okay. Yeah. There are this is your last quiz question. Okay. There are six teams that have never been to the finals. Which one of these teams makes Forrest the saddest? The Hornets. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> the, like the only one you care about. The Charlotte Hornets have never been to a title. In fact, uh, we have fewer title appearances, which would be zero, than teams that no longer exist, like the Baltimore Bullets, the Chicago Stags, and the Washington Capitals, which are now a hockey team. <laughs> yeah, Bullets is a bad name for a team. Yeah, it was the Baltimore Bullets, and then they brought them back as the Washington Bullets. And then I, I forget if it was like, liberal outcry conservative outcry just like general awareness of how bad that sounds but they changed it to the wizards harry potter was coming up right yeah uh look we like magic you know they already have the orlando magic so we're the wizards we control the magic i don't know somebody write it down <laughs> we have to stop thinking about this <laughs> uh but the other teams that don't have a title appearance are the denver nuggets the los angeles clippers the memphis grizzlies the minnesota timberwolves and the new orleans pelicans some of those are younger than the hornets uh, the Clippers is the one that kind of surprises me because they've been around forever, but they were always really bad. They've been good in recent years, so still kind of a surprise to me. But um, yeah, I, I think that I would love to just steal one of those titles, one of those 17 from the Boston Celtics or the LA Lakers. Just give me one. So so here's a question. When recounting these titles, yeah. does it reset if the franchise goes to a new city? It depends. So that's like, a complicated question. So like the like the Utah Jazz, it like let's pretend the the New Orleans Jazz had a title, yeah. Then or went to a a, a finals. Then yeah. would that carry over when they move? So so yes, yeah, so it does. Um, in certain circumstances. So when the uh when the Warriors moved from Philly to San Francisco and mm -hmm. then became the Golden State Warriors or whatever, all of those titles are still part of that franchise, okay. right? If a franchise moves, like the Charlotte Hornets did, mm -hmm. they moved to New Orleans and became the New Orleans Pelicans, that franchise remains intact. So had the Hornets won a title, mm -hmm. then it would it would belong to the Pelicans because the Hornets now are an expansion team, formerly the Bobcats. It's just, I guess the New Orleans Pelicans sold off or abandoned the, the rights to the Hornets name. Uh -huh. And so Jordan, who is the majority owner of the Hornets, purchased that name and brought the Charlotte Hornets back even though it is a new franchise that was created out of an expansion mm -hmm. rather than the traditional original Hornets franchise with such greats as Muggsy Bogues and Larry Johnson and Alonzo Mourning, Kendall Gill, Del Curry. I could go on. Point being, uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a complicated question. Most of the time when a team moves, they, they take that franchise stuff with them. All right. Yeah. Um, and with that, that's my, that's my run through the finals of this year. Uh, hopefully, you know, if, if you like basketball at all, your chance, your last chance to watch might be Monday, June the 13th. But good news. You have gotten all of the answers to the basketball quiz correct. You have scored 100%. You're like Steph Curry at the free throw line. That's right. Is that, yeah. does he He's very do good at free throws, well yes. Free throw <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I would assume it, it's closer than the three-point line. That's true. He actually gets mad at himself if the ball even hits the rim and goes in. He, he wants it perfect every time. You know what? I appreciate that. All right. All right. Would you like to hear my one basketball story yes. that my father told to me, me when I told him we were doing this topic for the okay. week? Apparently, and this is a Florida State basketball story, my parents were uh, did, did alterations on clothing yep. in Tallahassee, where the Florida State Seminoles are located. And back when I was three or four, I think they did some work for the coach of the men's basketball team at the time. Pat Kennedy. Okay. 
and he gave them some tickets. And there was, they're pretty close, like a couple rows back from the floor. And my mom and my dad brought me to the game. And I was sitting on the bench with my dad and my mom. And apparently I got thirsty. Okay. So little, we'll say four. So mm-hmm. about maybe Cassius's age or maybe a little bit younger. Okay. Little four-year-old me gets up, walks down to the court, goes to the sidelines where they have their Gatorade cooler, takes a cup, pours myself a drink, and then- Walks back up. (laughs) Nope. Sits down on the bench next to the players. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have any memory of this? No. Okay. (laughs) And I guess I just proceed to drink my little drink sitting on the sidelines watching the game sitting next to a bunch of giant college uh, basketball players (laughs) that's funny that is hilarious i on the other hand uh used to have season tickets to the hornets or my parents did when i was a kid and we went to a game with against the bulls in i believe 96 Mm -hmm. and my mom happened to know a police officer she was a charlotte city police officer uh for for eight years or so and so she knew somebody who was getting a retirement ceremony and they did it at halftime and she says oh well after halftime i want to go down and talk to uh him and he's standing right beside the visitor's bench Mm -hmm. well that's where you have michael jordan sitting next to dennis rodman sitting next to scotty pippen and so i just walked down and stood like basically six feet behind them while my mom talked to her police officer friend, completely non, non-concerned about the massively famous and incredibly <laughs> talented basketball players who were right there. And I just, they're like my mouth agape, just being like, ah, Michael Jordan's like, <laughs> So yeah, it was, that was fun. It was, uh, it was a good time. All right, but now we have switched roles. So you get to talk us through Hustle. That's right. We are talking about Hustle, put out by Netflix and released actually Wednesday of this week. So this is probably the first of our podcasts where we review or talk about a movie that has just come out, a recently released film. That's right. For anybody who is listening, if you happen to be listening for the first time, we don't usually say spoiler alert because I don't think there's anything to spoil at this point about Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Yeah. But um, spoiler alert, if right. you're listening to this podcast, we're definitely going to be talking about things that happen in the film. Yeah. Let me just say this, though. If you watch the trailer for this film and you don't know what's going to happen, like you've never seen a sports movie before. (laughs) Right. There were no huge surprises. And I think that even as I was doing, I usually try to stay away from spoilers when I'm looking at something that I'm going to be watching. Yeah. But as I was doing research for the film, I really didn't feel like there was any way you could spoil what is going to be happening at this point. So yeah, this is a movie called Hustle. It is not the 2019 The Hustle. Starring oh. Anne Hathaway and Rebel Wilson. Is it the 2000, I want to say 2003 Hustle and Flow? It is not 2003 <laughs> Hustle and Flow. It is also not Hustlers starring Jennifer <laughs> Lopez and Constance Wu. Which is a fun movie. Also not American Hustle, although this does take place in America in 2013 starring Christian Bale and Amy Adams. Hustle and Flow is 2005. I'm sorry, everyone. Mm. Also not the 1975 Hustle starring Burt Reynolds and Catherine Deneuve. Okay, I would watch that. Yeah. <laughs> And finally, not the 2004 TV series Hustle starring someone named Robert Glenister and Robert Vaughn. Those people are made up. Okay, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> so doing research for this, finding imagery for this was a little bit challenging because there are so many films with the word hustle. And I feel like I have not a lot of critiques of this film, but the name could have been more descriptive. Sure, sure. I don't know why I said that like Chandler Bing. <laughs> Could you be any more descriptive? Yeah. <laughs> Were you being sarcastic? No, no, I'm asking, could you could please? Could you be <laughs> any more, please? But it was, yeah, so it was released um, this past Wednesday. The runtime was an hour 57, very manageable. Yeah, sub two hours, we love it. Yep, directed by Jeremiah Zager. And this was actually not his first feature film. Okay. So his first film was an indie feature and it was called We the Animals. Um, and then before that, he had um, he had made a name for himself doing documentary work. Okay. All right. We the Animals looked really good, though. It premiered at Sundance in 2018 and then took home the Next Innovator Award. I guess maybe it hasn't actually been released in theaters. It will be released in theaters this August, I think. Oh, interesting. Okay. So kind of a, a double release this year for him. Yeah. That's neat. 
Great. Good for him. Yeah. And, it's, and he's also doing um, some some work for Showtime's show called The Seven Deadly Sins. Okay. Um, he's done commercial work in the past. And then his documentary was something called In a Dream. Um, but he really hasn't done anything that is basketball related. And sure. In fact, when he was first approached by, um, I want to say, by Adam Sandler to do this film, he was not interested. He didn't think that it was the right film for him. Interesting. Okay. Now he's from Philly. He is from Philly. Okay, that's right. So I, I there were a lot of like, first of all, the the team that Adam Sandler's character is working for as a scout is the Philadelphia 76ers. That's right. And there are several allusions to Philadelphia and movies like Rocky. Right. That's right. So um, as a quick summary of the film, we have NBA scout Stanley Sugarman, who is played by Adam Sandler. He is he is working for the 76ers as a scout and he is looking to basically move up into a position that he had been promised as an assistant coach. And he needs to basically revive his career in this way by by finding some unknown gem to bring on to the 76ers, he finds this unknown street player in Spain named Bo Cruz and wants to bring him to America. He is thwarted by the new owner or leader of the 76ers, the son of the previous owner. And so he decides to tell that person to go fuck themselves. Basically, two seconds after you said, "Yeah, that, I would just tell that guy I'm out of here." Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, his new mission is to get Cruz into the combine and then onto the the larger NBA playing stage somehow through the recognition that he would get through the combine. Yeah, he's got six weeks to get ready for this combine to show how good he can be. Got to get a montage. <laughs> That's right. They had a. a I thought a great montage of him training to to go to the combine. And apparently what I read is that the combine for basketball is not nearly as influential or important as it is for football. Most of the time, the reasons for that are um, the combine is, is adding to knowledge that you already have. It's adding another data point. It's not adding new data, if that makes sense. But in football, it does add new data. In football, it does because you don't like when you see somebody in college, you may see how they play in, on game tape, but you're not having them do a three cone drill in college unless it's like their pro day, which is just a, a college run version of the same types of workouts you do at the combine. So the combine, you can tell you can you can get a better idea of people's athleticism, whereas in the NBA, you kind of see that athleticism a lot more easily. Um, in, is, in playing. Is that because there's just fewer players on the court yeah. on, in basketball? And so you can maybe see how they move a little or isolate their skill a little Correct. easier? Correct. Yeah. So in football, imagine you're talking about an offensive lineman. Mm-hmm. You're not asking an offensive lineman to run a 40 yard dash to see how quick and, and, and explosive he can be. Right. But in the combine, you're saying, okay, do this thing. And then you're like, oh, wow, he ran faster than I thought. He must be a little more athletic than we thought. He might fit into a zone blocking scheme better because he can get out in front of your running back faster. So it's like you're seeing those and start trying to take these traits and apply them to what could happen. Mm-hmm. Whereas like if you are in the, you know, if you're looking at a basketball player, you're looking at that person sometimes playing one-on-one against another player. You're like, oh, he can beat him. He's faster than him. That's that's what I need to know. All right. So a little bit about the, the making of this film, how it originally got made. It was written by a person named Will Fetters, who is originally from Delaware, which is, I guess, why it's about the Sixers. Okay, sure. And I, I would assume Boston would be a Delaware team, but anyway, yeah. It's Delaware. I mean, <laughs> we're, Delaware. We're in Delaware. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, reference to Wayne's World for anybody wondering why we're just saying Delaware. <laughs> and um, so he's originally from Delaware, which is, I guess, why it's about the Sixers. It was originally going to actually be um, about a streetballer in China. Mm-hmm. But I guess Netflix does not do business with or in China. Okay. There you go. It was instead based off of requests from Netflix turned into a a script about somebody that was from Spain. Sure. And the, I believe that LeBron's company Mm -hmm. had the script first. Sure. And they, LeBron brought it to Adam Sandler because they're like, you like, you like basketball. basketball, I mean, I guess if you're going to be the guy like Adam Sandler, who literally just walks around your entire life in basketball shorts, occasionally people with a basketball script will come up to you and be like, you like basketball in movies. Yeah. 
have I got a thing for you? Yeah, that was one of the things I liked about this movie the most was like Sandler's wardrobe was like literally what you see him in on like YouTube right. videos where he shows up to like the four, uh, the West 4th Street basketball courts and he's just like, all right, I'm playing. He's like in a oversized polo shirt and gym shorts. He's like, all right, let's go. I mean, that's it's it's funny because I do feel like the the person who was doing wardrobe must have just been like, I, you know what? You just wear whatever you want to yeah, wear. You're fine. <laughs> this is your your outfit is is the is the same outfit. Yes. Yeah. Just show up in what you in what you wear. That's right. And I feel like also some of the shirts that he was wearing had stains on them and various things that just felt very yeah. lived in. Yeah. There are, there are a lot of montages in this movie, mm-hmm. um, but the opening montage was actually pretty great. It's not a training montage. It's just showing him walking through airports, lying down on beds and hotel rooms and mm-hmm. being out on the road as a scout. Like it just shows how daunting and exhausting that is. Right. Um, and so I thought that montage was actually incredibly effective. The one later, like the training montage yeah. goes on a bit too long and okay. the music is a uh, poor choice. It wasn't like amping you up. It felt like I was like, this is a song I've never heard of mm-hmm. and has no driving beat behind it. So mm-hmm. I don't know what we're doing, but would you have preferred something a little bit more like up-tempo hip-hop or just yes. like, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Like you're you're in Philly, so give me The Roots, give me Meek Mill, give me whatever, Freeway. Like just do the, the Philly hip-hop stuff. Right. You know? Right. Gotcha. And so LeBron brought this to Sandler. Yeah. And Sandler looked at it and he really loved it. He was like, yeah, this seems like something I would absolutely do. Yeah. And so then at that point... Sandler was in talks with Netflix and and you mentioned you were curious if this was part of Sandler's deal with Netflix. So yeah. Sandler has a deal that has been going on since 2014. Mm-hmm. In 2014, I think he signed an original deal for four films. And then I think in maybe like 2017, it was extended to six films. Okay. And then in 2020, the six film deal was extended by another four. Oh, wow. Okay. So for an overall of 10. Yeah. But then there's also been other projects that are like related and Happy Madison related that have been yeah. like released and then also released on netflix Got it. Uh, this is part of that four deal extension okay from 2020 cool right on well that's that's good to know uh i think a lot of the stuff that he has released is like my least favorite kind of sandler stuff mm-hmm. i haven't seen it but it's like the one with jennifer aniston where they're on a boat mm-hmm. uh there's one like hubie Murder Halloween. mystery yeah that's it right. so it's like all of those i'm like this is the sandler that's like grown-ups or just it's like he just wanted to have a good time with a bunch of money right and this film is more my my preferred type of adam sandler film Mm -hmm. which is the we have a plot we have a very simple absolutely boilerplate sports plot right and then we get to see adam sandler be kind of funny in that plot that's it that's what that's what uh happy gilmore was right? right right and there are times where it's like the the inclusion of Adam Sandler in this plot is what makes the movie actually interesting mm-hmm. rather than watching him in a movie that is plotless like Grown Ups. Sure, sure. Whether you like it or not, uh, the things that he's been doing with uh-huh, Netflix, yeah. apparently America yeah. has been loving it. And according to Netflix, audiences have spent two billion hours watching since 2015. Mm, that's too many hours. That was in 2020. That's too many hours. And for Murder Mystery, the Jennifer Aniston film um, where they're on a boat, within the first four weeks of its release, 83 million households watched at least some of the comedy. That's like half of America. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, but it does say that it was its most popular title on Netflix in the U.S. last year. Okay. Guys, we got to get it back together, y'all. People, <laughs> we're, having a rough, we're having a rough time, aren't we? People love the Adam Sandler content that he's putting out for Netflix. And I think that this is also sort of to your point, this is absolutely one of those algorithm um, choices that yeah. actually does really work very well. Yeah. You yeah. know? And so, yeah, this is something that is part of like an ongoing series of stuff. I think Sandler also has one more film coming out um, this year okay. that is supposed to maybe break whatever pattern that he tends to have where he'll do like one really good drama and like a bunch of garbage. Uh, sure. Um, and so he's following up this anticipated good film with another anticipated good film. Well, I know he's also working with the Safdie brothers again. Is that the one that you're referencing this year or is that just for later? It might be later. I'm not sure. Yeah, the Safety brothers are the, the directors of uh, Uncut Gems, mm-hmm. which uh, was just a phenomenal movie. I love that movie so much. Uh, it is also a sports movie. Yeah. Uh, and we considered that, but Jesse doesn't like anxiety. And so <laughs> we opted out. I 
I'm very happy we watched this film. Yeah, yeah. Man, Uncut Gems is so good, though. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, I, I thought this one... The, the, can I just mention a couple of things from early on in the film that yeah. I, I really liked? First of all, Bobby Duvall. Let's mm. go. Let's get Robert Duvall in more movies before he dies. Aww. He he showed up just... that. I think no acting was required. Mm-hmm. It was like, can you be grumpy Robert Duvall who owns the 76ers? He says, yes, I can. Mm-hmm. He does two scenes, I think. And then they kill him off. Sure. But fine, whatever. Put Bobby Duvall more stuff, man. He's 91 years old. Woo! Yeah. Get it, Bobby. All right. And then uh, Ben Foster, cast as his son. Ben Foster is a real hit or miss actor for me. Okay. He's like super intense. Yeah. Um, And sometimes that doesn't work in his favor. Sometimes it's it's appropriate for the role. He actually did strike me as being a, a good, like, casting for Robert Duvall's son. Yeah. Like, I was like, oh, I could see it. I mean, I, I think it. not only is he good casting for Robert Duvall's son, but also the sister, the person that they had uh, casted his, as his sister. Yeah, um, from SNL. Heidi Gartner yeah. from SNL. Um, I feel like Ben Foster and Heidi Gartner, when you look at them, do have a very siblings sort of look in yeah. their face. Yeah, I, I could see that for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, um, the thing that I, I thought would have been a little bit better, I guess, is like, for Ben Foster's character, Vin, which mm. did confuse me. I thought they were calling him Ben for the first half of the film. Like, <laughs> did you just not want to name your actor or your uh, your characters with any name other than the actor's name? Uh, but yeah, he he his motivation was unclear. Like, he's, he definitely had the characterization right. that Adam Sandler's character called out later where he's, like, born on third base, mm-hmm. you know, thinking he hit a home run. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, I wasn't sure why he was saying the things he was saying other than just to be antagonistic. There wasn't, like, a deeper guiding purpose behind that character. But I think that you, I think they're assuming like, look, you just get that because Ben Foster is kind of an asshole. So. Yeah, I mean, I think that he's just, he want like to me, it, it seemed like he's trying to make his own decisions because he is trying to show that he's in charge. Yeah. And is also kind of a doofus. Yeah. And so if he could like put somebody in their place and then also make a good decision at the same time because he thinks that he's correct, then, right. then win-win. I don't know why he would do that after he was immediately shown that he made a bad mistake. Right. And then not listen to the guy like literally in the same day. Yeah. About a different player. Correct. Yeah. But, but again, I mean, he, he plays a very convincing, arrogant, arrogant fool. Yeah. It's the one thing that you run into when you're like, okay, we're going to do a boilerplate plot. Right. Right. And then what you end up doing with the characterization is you say, oh, why would someone has to act this way mm-hmm. and has to make this decision in order for the plot to work. Mm-hmm. So we're going to force them to make that decision by writing a character who would act in a shitty way rather than we're going to write a character who, because of the things that are happening in the story, will make that plot decision out of necessity. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's a bit of laziness in the writing, but also I don't care. It's fine. Like it, it it works out and it gets things moving. Right. I mean, can can I envision the son of a owner taking over and immediately making very dumb choices? Uh, look up Jimmy Dolan. <laughs> Sorry to all of our Knicks fans who listen, but yeah. I think that I heard somebody say that like he was maybe modeled after that person. That would bit. not surprise me at all. Did Jimmy Dolan wear a lot of large collared shirts? I don't know about that, but I do know that he has a band. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and the only other thing I wanted to mention, there was a really good, really good line from mm-hmm. the beginning that Sandler pulls out. And uh, it seems like a lot of this might have been like improv from Adam Sandler. It's like, hey, Adam, go do something funny. <laughs> right. and, and so he had a line. He says, guys in their 50s don't have dreams. They have nightmares and eczema. And I was like, right. that's, a, that's that's either good writing or just congratulations for getting Sandler because, you know, he, he can do that kind of stuff really well. And I think the one good thing about the boilerplate plot that just like, you kind of know where this is going mm-hmm. is it gives him a lot of latitude. Right. He's not having to do the sort of uncut gems thing where he's like carrying the plot himself for the whole movie. Right. Right. The plot carries its own self and he gets to bounce off of it, react to it, have a, have sort of fun conversations. One of my favorite parts is later on in the movie, the player that he's uh, working with orders a big steak and eats one bite out of it. Right. And he just <laughs> picks up the, like the steak is like a tomahawk steak by the bone. And it's just like walking, like driving around eating it in his car while he's driving <laughs> to train this guy to run. I'm like, that's just fun. It's like, it has nothing to do with anything, but it's just a, a way to insert comedy into this thing because you have the ability to do it because the plot is so on autopilot. Right. And 
in some of the interviews, they did say that Sandler was given some latitude to just be funny. Yeah. You know, they would obviously like they had the script as it was written and they were talking specifically, I think, in this context about the um, the one liners that he was throwing out to try and get the guy off his game. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so he had the ones that were written as they were. And then like Sandler would, you know, go and write some in his trailer, like come up with some and then, you know, show them to the director. Yeah. Um, and, and the writer and just like get the okay. And then there were also just moments when they were filming where he'd be like, I'm just going to try and make you laugh. Right. And right. you, I mean, that's one of the benefits of having someone like Adam Sandler where you can just say, great, just be funny. Yeah. We'll, we'll get what we need and then just also be funny. Yeah. I'm curious what you thought though about the actual, like the cinematography and the filming of the gameplay. It was good. They did a couple things that were, Interesting one was like the, the, you know, sort of straight on shots mm-hmm. of the players at varying focal lengths and at varying, um, you know, distances. So you got like sort of like trash talk, like right in sort of your face as the audience. Right. Um, and then you would hit the reverse on the guy who Sandler was training, uh, Wancho in real life, mm-hmm. a bow in the movie. Mm-hmm. And you would see his response or his reaction to it. And that was, that was good. I thought that worked out well. I thought that. It worked better mm-hmm. at the like nighttime scenes. So they would go to like the park and have like the boa challenge or whatever it was called. Mm-hmm. Um, those looked great. They were really well lit. I like the fact that they had that big crowd around and stuff. And I thought those were exciting and kind of electric. I thought the ones in the gyms were a little more stoic. Yeah. Well, the so the director was was really, I guess, influenced by uh, not basketball films, although he did mention a few when he was talking in, in interviews like blue chips and Hoosiers. Mm-hmm. Um, but he said that he didn't really see any basketball films that were filmed in a way that made basketball sort of filmed artistically. Okay. Yeah, sure. And so rather he was more drawing inspiration from films like raging bull. Okay. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And boxing films. I could see that. Obviously boxing films with the, the montage. Right. Right. But um, he wanted to, to show basketball in a way that was from the inside, yeah, basically. And so to your point, the the scenes where they have the players like directly in front of them, the, what they did is they actually created this thing where it was rigged around the waist of the players. Right. And so the camera was directly in front of their faces yeah. as they were as they were playing and attached to them. Yeah. And so that you really see that back and forth um, between the two players and you feel like you're looking at them. Because I guess he said that when he was talking to players, they don't really look at the ball and instead they focus on the, the movements yeah. of the opponent to see where they're going to right, go. Right. So they took inspiration from that. They also did, they also took inspiration from, uh, from documentaries hmm. and the way that a lot of sports documentaries are, are um, shot. They did use things like um, an e-car with a crane that was attached to it and something called a tarot, okay. which they mounted to the camera they mounted the camera to a remote car that could like weave around the players as they move. Oh, nice. Yeah. I guess they had this sort of like three day or multi day filming of the, of the action where the first day they would get like Stanley's view, which is like the outside, like a traditional sort of outside view of the game. Yeah. yeah. And then the second day they would go like more inside, yeah. but they were editing overnight. Oh, okay. So they'd know like, oh, we need to catch this coverage here. Right. Exactly. So they were editing it together overnight so that like day three, they could basically say like, what did we miss? How can we make this nice. now a more complete the smart game? Yeah. That's yeah. smart. I, yeah. I thought it, I thought it came together effectively. I think now that you say it, it reminded me more of, uh, basketball commercials mm-hmm. than it does basketball film. So, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. I think that's right. And he has a the director does have a background in in commercials okay. as well. Yeah. I mean, I think all directors at this point sort of have to have yeah. a little bit of a background <laughs> yeah. in commercials. Yeah. So we can basically wrap it up there. I think the last thing I wanted to just talk about was like obviously the the players and and yeah. working with the NBA because I think that's kind of a huge thing. Yeah. The number of NBA players that are in this, and then also just like the the actual players being actors. Yeah. Yeah, so the lead actor, not Sandler, but the basketball player, Bo, uh, was played by, uh, what, Juancho Hernan Gomez, Mm -hmm. um, who I believe is with Utah right now. I don't remember. Yeah, that's Um, right. And then you have Trey Young in there. You had Kyle Lowry in there. You had Kenny the Jet Smith, who plays an agent, uh, who was a former teammate of Adam Sandler. Mm -hmm. He's he's on NBA on TNT. 
Yeah. Uh, so, um, so Juancho Hernan Gomez is with the Utah Jazz, but I guess he actually was with the Celtics at the beginning of the season. Oh, there you go. Um, or and or he was with the Celtics like when they wrapped the shooting of the film. Oh, okay. And so the end of the film during the credits yeah. is actual like game footage. Oh, wow. And they CG'd the 22 onto his jersey. <laughs> And so it's actual, yeah, it's actual like game footage because he was with the Celtics and then I guess they got rid of him after a few games. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, he's with the the jazz now. Another sort of funny little tidbit is um, when he's playing in Spain and Sandler like gets some professional Spanish players to play with him to just sort of like get some footage of him right. or whatever. Somebody makes a joke like where they say like, Willie, you're off the team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Willie is actually Willie Her- Hernangonez, yeah. who is um, on the Pelicans, yeah. the Pelican Center, and the brother of Mancho. Yeah. Former Charlotte Hornet. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. The thing that's funny to me about all these kinds of things, they do, it happens in football too. Like mm-hmm. this guy is supposed to be like this, you know, unicorn, uh, you know, he's going to be an amazing player in the NBA. He's the next Giannis. And then you like realize they had to get an actual basketball player to right. play that role. And then you watch, look at the actual guy's stats and he's like, oh, he's averaging like 10 minutes a game and five points. It's like, yeah. he's not, he's not great, <laughs> but, but right. I mean, don't get me wrong. He's still an NBA player. So he's better at basketball than I'll ever be able to be. It's hard to find somebody who can act and also be a professional athlete. So. Right. I mean, if anything, the, the thing that is interesting to me is he's almost like a unicorn more so in the fact that you have this basketball player who turns out such a great performance. I think yeah, he did he, really well. Yeah. Yeah. He and Anthony Edwards. Anthony Edwards was great. Not of ER fame. Right. Different <laughs> Anthony Edwards. Yes. Um, but the two of them were fantastic. Anthony Edwards kind of stole the show. I yeah. he was so good yeah. that I assumed he was an actor who I th- I was like, oh, they got an actual actor for this role to yeah. come in yeah. and play this part because I don't know anything about basketball. So yeah. apparently he's an actual basketball player. And he's very good. He's very super athletic. And also like uh man, that smile, like he he was like, it it was perfect because it was like on the teetering on the edge of like, oh, is he trying to be friendly? Or is like, oh, is he just getting this guy's goat to try and drive mm-hmm. him crazy. And it's like when, you know, there's a scene where, uh, you know, where Bo knocks him down and like slams his hand next to his head. Right. And then afterwards you cut to Anthony Edwards and he just like get to this big, like shit eating grin. And it's like mm-hmm. so good. He's so yeah. He's really charming good this, yeah. and subtle. And such an asshole at the same and time. Yeah. such a good villain. Yeah. He's such a, such a good villain. He plays for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think that the, the fact obviously that, that LeBron's, uh, company was production company was driving this and um was was a big part of why they were able to get so many yeah. nba players but they really wanted this to be like a really big nba vehicle right so. I, yeah that makes total sense and i think even like it has become so well known that sandler is a big basketball head right mm-hmm. and so it's like oh this guy loves basketball he's good at sports movies we got lebron as the producer like it kind of makes sense that all this stuff adds up mm-hmm. to be like a really you know, nice little mesh of all that NBA talent. Yeah, no, it was, it was great. So the final thing that I wanted to talk about was just the release and reception of the film. Mm -hmm. So obviously this is a Netflix film, which means that we are probably never going to get numbers. And then the numbers are also not going to necessarily make any sense in terms of like box office. numbers. Right. It's not comparable to anything we would talk about. normally. Right. So Netflix has their own internal numbers and I guess they start to gauge things as we've seen on like how many eyeballs see it, how many partial plays it gets. Um, And so those numbers are just things that we can throw out the window. However, if we're talking about the reception that it's gotten so far for Metacritic, it has gotten a 66 mm-hmm. based on 23 reviews, which is eh, just fine. But the tomatometer. Sure. Tomato meter. Oh, tomato meter. That makes more sense. Yep. <laughs> has received an 89%. Oh, okay. Out of 76 reviews. And so that's going to place it third out of Sandler's films in terms of reception. Wow. Um, The only two that have done better um, for the tomato meter. Punch Drunk Love and Uncut Gems? Uncut Gems and the Meyerwitz stories. Uh, Absolutely not. Uh, Okay. Everyone, go watch Punch Drunk Love. It is one of the best movies uh, in Paul Thomas Anderson's career. Yeah, I said it. Mm. Yeah, I said it. And it's one of Adam Sandler's best performances. It's a great movie. Love it. I haven't seen it since it came out 
20 years ago. Philip Seymour Hoffman as the mattress man. Oh, so good. I don't remember any of this. I remember none of this. I would say that's that mattress man. How many times have you seen this film? I owned it on DVD. I used to watch it like once a week. Oh, okay. See, I saw it like one time a long, long time ago. It has a lady with really big eyes, right? Yeah. And she was also in a uh, uh, Hannibal film. Yeah, probably. That's all that I remember. She had those two big films come out at the same time. She was in Red Dragon. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But even more than that, the audience score is 94%, which is his highest audience score of, oh, wow. Of all of his films, it's hmm. followed up by Happy Gilmore, which was at 85%, and Rain Over Me, which is 81%. Mm. Now, this also doesn't include any of Sandler's like stand-ups or documentary appearances or anything sure, like sure. that. But I mean, 94% is is People pretty, are digging it, yeah. yeah. people are enjoying this quite a bit. So, okay, so then final question. Um, do you recommend this? If you like sports movies, yeah, absolutely. Like, okay. I'd, I'd watch this again like any time because it's 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 simple like i said you're not doing a lot of thinking right you know sandler is very funny and he's funny in a way that i like him being funny where it's like normal stuff is happening and he's just the guy making like wisecracks the whole time that's my preferred adam sandler right mm-hmm. it's not like little nicky where it's like he's the son of the devil and <laughs> things go wild it's like i don't care about that i want i want the happy go more he's a normal guy doing a job and he's just like being funny along the way Um, and that's, so it's also, this is, uh, fits into my favorite Adam Sandler genre, which is Adam Sandler screams into a cell phone. Oh, so punch drunk love. Sure. Uh, this movie, uh, I think happy Gilmore, he screams into a phone on the wall. Like if you can get him yelling into a phone, that's his best uncut gems (laughs) yelling into a phone. Most of that movie. Sure. So yeah, I think I would recommend it to anybody who likes sports movies if you don't like sports movies, you may not like this because no, I'm going to say I'm going to say I disagree with that. Okay. I say it's a good popcorn movie. Okay. In addition to a good sports movie. Yeah. Because I don't particularly like sports movies a lot well, of times. That's not necessarily the case. You like sports movies. You don't like sports. And so that's that's the difference mm. I would make. Like you would never watch a heavyweight boxing match, but you watch Creed. Right? Sure. I think it's like, I I mean, I like underdog yeah. competition movies. And, and then, so it can be sports or it can be pitch perfect. Yeah. It could be a speech and debate. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so sports yeah. Sports with your mind. Mind sports. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I would say, yes, it's it's definitely worth watching. I, I rated it three and a half stars on Letterboxd. See, I would have rated it more. Okay. I think that this ended up being kind of what I thought Any Given Sunday was in my mind. Oh, okay. It's the the version of Any Given Sunday that I was, I was sort of hoping for. <laughs> Fair. Less frenetic. Um, a little bit more controlled, more directed, both in the way that it's shot, but also in the script itself. Um, it doesn't meander quite as much. And I think that they wrap it up really nicely. Yeah. Um, with Heidi Gartner's character. And um, yeah, just I think overall a really just fun watch. And everybody does a good job at what they're asked to do. Cool. Cool. That is our show for this week. Make sure to like us just generally, um, but also if it happens on your podcasting app that you can like <laughs> us, that's great too. Sure. And then, yeah, go check us out on our social platforms. That's right. You can follow us on Twitter. We are at The Crosscut and Instagram at The Crosscut Pod. And we release what movie we're going to be doing uh, on Tuesday or Wednesday of every week for that coming Saturday. Yeah. And I also didn't mention this earlier because I didn't want to sway anybody who was listening to the first part of this uh, podcast, but mm. I am a Warriors fan. I lived in the Bay Area for four years. I was there for the I Believe team. I'm talking about Baron Davis. I'm talking about Steven Jackson. I'm talking about back in the day when they were the eight seed and they beat the one seed in the uh, first round of the NBA playoffs. So you know what? Go Dubs. Let's do it. Woohoo. <laughs> All right. Bye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> bye.